0: You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Terry Riley, which is from our sermon series, The Beatitudes, Jesus' Talk on the Hill. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. Want to welcome you? Thank you for joining with us, and I trust uh, you're enjoying uh, the second day of spring. It finally feels like it. it's warming up just a little bit. Hey, uh, I want you to take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter five, and uh, have an exciting thing to talk about today: sex. So um, <laughs> we're going to talk about that a little bit. And uh, so Jesus talked about it. So I figure I can correct. Yeah. You bet. Uh, if you're new with us or newer with us, we're working our way through uh, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, which are commonly known or called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, last week, we looked at Jesus, and he talks about how murder begins in the heart. And then he comes because he says, I'm going to raise the bar on this. And he talks about, you know what, it's, people get angry, but the key is that you don't stay angry. And he's taking these from the Ten Commandments, this part that we're looking at for the next few weeks uh, after Easter, because what happened was is the the Ten Commandments were meant to be ongoing as they are still relevant today. And they're supposed to, Galatians chapter 3 tells us that they were to be a tutor, or the book of Romans also tells us that these commandments were to be a tutor, kind of like a school teacher pointing us to our need for Christ. Uh, but a lot of the religious elders and the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, they, they begin to take these and make them more of a punch list or a checklist. And they begin to kind of dummy them down from their original intent so that people could go, okay, check that box. It'd be like saying, okay, if you really want to be a good Christian, you got to go to church. And then all of a sudden they would make these rules and they would say things like this. Okay, you, you have to go to church at least once a month. And then maybe another rabbi or some scribe refers to. We say, "Well, you got to go to church." They didn't do this. I'm giving you an example. Um, you go to church on Easter and Christmas, and then somebody else might say, "No, no, no. Here's the deal. You go to church when you feel like it." And so that's really what they started to do with all of these Ten Commandments that Jesus talked about. So now as He's inaugurating, He's ushering in the kingdom of God because He's the King of that kingdom. He's kind of raising the standard. Last week was on murder, the sixth commandment, and Jesus says, You know what? I don't even want you to stay angry at people. So today we're going to look at the seventh commandment that deals with adultery. And again, Jesus raises the bar. And he's continuing to unmask the religious leaders, the big religious dogs of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees who begin to kind of dummy it down. And he wants to unmask the self-righteousness and the self-righteous externalism that these guys espouse to the people. Now, people, I understand this because I know I've, I've, I've done wedding ceremonies where I had somebody come up and tell me I was a chauvinist. I had, I had someone come up and call me a prude. It's, it's kind of part of what goes with what we do here. That's all right. Here's what I know. I'm not a prude and I'm not, well, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I don't think I'm dumb. But people have always had sex outside of marriage. Right? Can we agree on that? But I think that today, probably more than ever, not that much more, but I think more than ever, we really do, there's a lot of people that have a tendency to treat it like a recreational activity. There's a concern People are concerned about the safety of what they do. Don't get pregnant. Don't contract a disease. But for so many in our culture, sex is simply another biological, physical activity, just like eating, breathing, sleeping, exercise. But here's what we need to understand, loved ones, is that sex is a moral and a, biology, a biological activity between two people, and it involves far more than their bodies, than your bodies. It involves your emotions. It involves and affects your relationships with one another. It affects how you see yourself. It also affects your relationship with God. Have you noticed that in the phraseology and the lexicon uh, of our lifetime, they have this phrase, and it's called, safe sex. And the people that use that, that kind of bandy it about, are focusing on the biological aspects of safe sex. But it ignores the social and the psychological and the spiritual consequences of sexual relationships. A condom does not make sex safe. Oh, it will protect in a number of ways biologically, but ask a person who 's had their heart broken how safe the sex was. Hey, hear me, lovers there 's no condom that has been made to protect the human heart and, and I, you know i, I don 't know what everybody thinks or where everybody is here, but I have dealt I have counseled probably hundreds from the time I started, beginning with teenagers of men and women who have been broken because of this thing we're talking about today. So Jesus is coming and he's calling his followers to offer clear moral values to an amoral culture. That we would graciously proclaim and model his values regarding sexuality. That Christ wants to produce in you and I a purity of thought that goes deeper than skin and behavior, but it begins to affect our heart. And that we can graciously and lovingly speak into the people around us of our culture and give them the truth. Remember, this isn't what we're talking about, what we started talking about here in Matthew 5. Uh, This isn't a new and higher ethic. This is not uh, just something to become better and to try harder and to do gooder. The issue here is Jesus is saying, I am the king. I'm ushering in a kingdom, and I want you to be a part of that. I want you to follow me because as you follow me, I have the power to make you a new person. And that's what Matthew 5 is, 6 and 7 is all about, is to show us how we're to live under the freedom of this new kingdom. So if you would, let's look at, let's read uh, Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 27. So Jesus is again talking to this multitude. He's talked about the law. He's talked about how important it is. He's talked about murder and anger. Now he's going to talk about How adultery begins in the heart. Jesus says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. haven't done that. See, that's my checklist. Punch it out. I don't do that. But then Jesus does this. He goes, but I tell you. Everyone who looks at a woman lustfully or anyone who looks at a man lustfully has already committed adultery with his or her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Uh, he specifically talks about the right eye because the right eye was considered in Hebrew idiom Hebrew times to be the one that had you had the best vision with. So you had the greatest clarity of being able to see with it. So he says, I want you just to gouge that best part of vision out. And then he said, it'd be better for you to lose one of your parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Oh, he said that last week too. He takes these things really seriously. And he says, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, (coughs) throw it away. Well, he says his right hand, because most people were right handed in that day as they are, as we are today. And this was considered, they considered the right hand to be your most skillful. So he's ramping this up and he says, "You listen, this is so important. This is so serious. I want you to take the best parts of who you are and deal with them. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body go into hell. Jesus uses this phraseology again. He says, you have heard it said. These are what the teachers have been teaching you now for a long time. And while what the, the essence of what they're saying is correct, but there's a lot more to it. The spirit of it is what, we, what, what God, the triune, the trinity of God wanted to express at the beginning. It goes beyond just the behavior to the heart. So he says, it was said, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. Well, what is adultery? Well, ad- adultery is sexual relations with a person who is not your spouse, Adultery means marriage breaker. It's extramarital sex. A married couple enters into this lifelong covenant and pledge before God and people. And what they're saying is they're going to be mutually sexually exclusive, they're going to share the intimacies of sexual intimacy together for the rest of their lives. And God expects, you can't read God's word without him saying, I expect you to honor that covenant. But when the covenant of sexual fidelity is broken, it often results in broken marriages, doesn't it? It's one of the leading causes of divorce. Adultery doesn't have to result in divorce. We're going to talk about divorce pretty soon. But it often does. Why? There's not one in this this room who wouldn't understand this next statement. That sexual infidelity is a crushing, devastating offense. It's probably one of the greatest senses of betrayal and rejection that is the hardest to overcome in life and in marriage. I've witnessed, I've had a courtside seat to see why this makes God's top 10. Now, if you're here and you're single, you're probably thinking, good, this doesn't apply to me. A law for married people. I agree. And when I get married, I'm going to do my best to live that out. I'm golden as long as I limit my sexual preferences and encounters to singles. Then I'm not violating God's covenant for married people. Let me rain on your parade. When God talks about adultery, the whole idea, the Jewish people would have known this, the whole idea is that it prohibits all extramarital sex. It prohibits premarital sex. See, God expects sexual fidelity in marriage and sexual purity before marriage. God designed sex for marriage, period. That is how Jesus understood it. And that has been the universal understanding of Christianity for years and even Judaism back in the day. That's why it's so important that we understand that when we talked about it a few weeks ago about the ceremonial law and the civil laws, while Christ came to fulfill them and he comes to fulfill these, these are not being done away with. These are as relevant to Ten Commandments, are as relevant for every culture and societies as they were back in Exodus 20 when they were given. The Bible says a lot about sexuality. Let me give you just a few. I'm going to blow by these, so listen close. First Corinthians 6:18 through18 through20 says this. Paul's talking to this church in Corinth that basically was like flamboyant about their sexuality. They were literally bragging about a guy who was having uh, immoral relationships with his dad's wife. And they thought it was no big deal. They were just, eh, whatever. They were bragging about it. This is what Paul says to them. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside of his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? that is in you, whom you have received from God. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your sexuality. What Paul is simply saying there is, you know what? And he goes on to say that some of the, that these sins that we we commit in terms of immorality and sexuality outside of marriage, he says those affect you and it's affecting and it has this, this, this place where it affects the Holy Spirit within you. And he says, don't ever forget, this is your motivation. Jesus paid for you. Jesus died for your sins. You don't belong to you anymore. Your body belongs to him. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says that the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before, and those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Colossians 3, 5 through 7, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Paul is talking about, make sure that because you've come to Christ, you put these away. Now, what's interesting here is he's talking about the coming of the wrath of God. There is a day when, we're gonna f- when people will face, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will not face the wrath of God because you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, positionally now and then. But, but there is a day of judgment that we will all stand before God. Level. Let's never forget that. <clears throat> but it's Numbers 23, 23, I believe, where God's talking to his people And he says, be aware, your sins will find you out. See, I don't think God judges us today for those things that we do. He says, your sin will do that. Your sin does that. Your sin finds you out. Your sin exposes you. How I could tell you of examples of that, especially in the sexual arena, of how that happens. But I gotta move through this. First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 6 says this. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, set apart. That you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the heathens who do not know God, but in this matter that no one should do wrong. Some of your translations will say trespass. Uh, The the word there is huperbino. Huper means beyond. Bino means to go. So if you put this word together, it it literally means to step over or to go beyond a boundary. Don't do that. Don't go past a boundary. Don't exceed the proper limits that God has established. Don't cross a line. Uh, Don't go past the law. Clearly, the idea is don't go too far. And then he uses another word there, defraud, which means to selfishly and greedily take something at someone else's expense. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as he has already told and warned you. I want you to see, loved ones, that this is serious. See, the word sexual immorality are translated from the Greek word poineia. Uh, which refers to sexual activity outside of marriage, any and all of it. And that word is just sprinkled throughout the New Testament, and I've just given you four places where it is. What God wants to remind us through the inspiration of his spirit, who's speaking the word through the writers, he says, I want you to know that uh, this beautiful gift from God is reserved for marriage. It's interesting because we live in a culture now. Um, if probably for the last 10 years, there's a number of people who have come to Creekside that have never been to church. And when they talked to me at first, I was shocked. But there's a lot of people who are coming to church now who have never been to church. I mean, when I say they haven't been to church, they haven't been to a Sunday service, an Easter service, a Christmas Eve service. They didn't even know about church. And all of a sudden, uh, they end up coming. And so it's not unusual for them to be very surprised when they hear that God says, you know what? Uh, This command about not entering into sexuality outside of marriage, they don't get it. They don't understand it. And a lot of times we have to work. I get to work with those people. We want to do and respond to this the way God calls us to. See, a common parenting mistake is to give our children rules without giving them the values. We tell them what to do without telling them why a lot of times. I saw this a lot when I was a youth pastor. You know, parents would always say, oh, don't have sex, don't have sex. God hates it. God will get mad at you. God, you know. It was all about God getting mad at him. And that's, that's, not, that's not the way it works. It's egregious to God because of his holiness, but they forgot, but parents don't oftentimes tell them this is a beautiful gift from our father. Take care of it. Save yourself for it. See, God is the creator of sex loved ones, but he has good reasons for placing restrictions on it. He is not the cosmic killjoy. He's who's out there to take our fun away. See, most of you, if you're like me at all, you love a fire. I love sitting at home in front of a fire. I love the warmth. Uh, there's kind of this, this nostalgic, almost romantic feeling whenever I'm around a fire in somebody's home or at home. I just love it. Don't you? That fire, it warms you. It just kind of kindles some of those things I remember sitting around when, when I was a kid. But that same fire, if it gets out of that fireplace, it goes from this kind of warm romantic feeling to this incredibly fearful, destructive potential. And sex was designed by God for inside the marriage where it can be used and demonstrated and experienced in beautiful ways and expressions toward one another. And marriage was set up to protect people. But without the confines and the, and, and, and the boundaries of marriage it can become very destructive. Well, why would God do this? I mean, what are the purposes did he have in mind then when he created sex? And, and why should sex simply just be reserved for marriage? Well, because God set it up that way. We, we, we didn't make up life. We didn't make up the rules of life. God did, because he knows what's best. That's why he's God. So the first thing he said was, first of all, it's for procreation. Sex is for making babies. Babies need families. God built and reserved this for marriage and the family. Now, the second is for unification. For procreation, but also unification. Sex was designed to bring unity and to unify couples. Genesis 2.24 says that when the, the wife leaves mother and father and they come together. They literally become the two, become one. And there's this communication of love and intimacy and commitment between the husband and the wife. God designed this act of intimacy so that there was this deeper levels of communication called married love that leads a man and woman to grow together in their commitment and love for one another. That's why we call it love making. I don't have sex with my wife. I make love. That's what God wants it to be about. So there's procreation, there's unification, <laughs> and there's recreation. Let me say it clearly, in case you've never thought this or heard it. God created us to be sexual beings. As a matter of fact, there's a whole book in the Bible. If you're married, read it. Song of Solomon or the Song of Psalms. If you're not married, don't read it. (laughs) Because it's, 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 it's very explicit Hebrew language of these two people coming together. See, physical attraction to the opposite sex is not sin. Sex is intended for our pleasure. It's God's idea; He made it. Have fun. Uh, have you ever thought about how what God could have done uh, to design and to have people procreate? I mean, I couldn't even think of anything else. But I mean, I just thought of it. He could have done anything. He could have said, "Here, take a pill." Well, oh, maybe two months later, whatever. I don't know. Some of the ladies probably think, "Oh, yeah, that'd have been sweet," you know. But uh, <laughs> but, but he 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 said I, he designed it this way so there'd be this unity and f- joy of coming together. Well, well, Terry, if if that's really true. If this is such a wonderful, great thing, then why does God put these prohibitions on it? Why does He put these restrictions on it? Because outside of marriage, He knows the disaster and the problems and the issues that it can cause. See, date rape is not fun. Teenage pregnancy is not fun. Abortions are not fun. Sexually t- transmitted diseases are not fun. Shattered marriages, broken hearts, guilty conscience. Single parenting, lost childhoods, crushed dreams, those aren't fun. So God's... Prohibition includes extramarital and premarital sex. These are not the musings of some agitated prophet loved ones. These are simply given as divine directions, directives from a God who wants to keep us and to keep us safe in the guardrails of his incredible grace. They come from this heavenly father who knows best. now in this text, we see that Jesus prohibits extramarital and premarital, but he doesn't stop there. He ratchets it up. But I tell you, do not lust for everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in with her in their heart. Wow. Wow. Jesus pulls the curtain back on a, behavioral, on a behavior to expose the matters of the heart. And that's what Jesus does throughout all of his teachings. See, it's not enough to avoid physical sexual immorality. Jesus's standard has to do with sexual purity of our heart, our inward person, not simply the outward. That's what we talked about last week with murder. That's what we talked about the week before when we were trying to understand the law that God gave. It's not a punch list. It's not a checklist. He calls us to purity of heart because he knows this is where immorality starts. It's a heart issue. So what does Jesus mean when he forbids looking at a woman lustfully? Notice he doesn't say, and and let me just, the, the, the male gender is used here, but use both. While it's probably predominantly a little more uh, male, masculine oriented, it it works for females too. So just balance this out. But notice Jesus doesn't doesn't forbid looking at somebody. It's the lustful intent. There's two different things. These are two different things. I don't know about you, but uh, a true confession I, you know, I'll say to Trina sometime, wow, she's really striking. But I'll also say, wow, that guy is really a handsome guy. I don't know about you, but you just, you, you learn to appreciate beauty. And here's the problem, it's when you keep looking. Uh, someone said it this way, it's when you take the second look and you begin to linger and to Look and to think. It's one thing to admire someone. It's a total another thing to desire someone. So Jesus, it's not like he isn't prohibiting looking. Now, some early Christians took this so literally that they would walk around with their heads down and just so they could just see barely in front of them so they wouldn't see the people around them. I was reading yesterday about this, from a commentary, and it, it actually one of the great church fathers his name is Origen in the second century, great, highly respected. He read this passage. he became so um, uh, so convicted uh, that he had himself castrated. Now hear me. Yeah, just hold on. <laughs> I don't believe for a minute that that's what this is calling for. I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, but that's not what it's calling for. Because it goes against the beauty and the and, and 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 the and the call to be able to bring your whole self into the bedroom and into the marriage with your spouse. Hebrews chapter thirteen verse four talks about how the marriage is supposed to come together to be pleasing and to take care of one another. First Corinthians six talks about uh, take uh, six and seven talks about taking care of your spouse. I don't believe anywhere Jesus is saying. He's using those examples to say this is how serious it is. Take, for instance, last week I said, sometimes you just can't help but feeling angry. But Jesus says, it's not the anger, it's that you don't stay angry. It's that you don't let anger simmer or smolder. Don't nurse a grudge. And it's the same thing, loved ones, with this look. Don't stare with lust at somebody else. Don't just keep looking. I went to the store yesterday. How convenient. Got out of my car and across probably, I don't know, 50 feet away, another gal had pulled in. We were going up to Rite Aid and and, and she was a pretty attractive gal. And so we get out and I'm kind of walking parallel into Rite Aid and she's probably about 50 Uh, feet over here to my left, and she's going somewhere else, and there's this guy. I notice him over here that I got to watch him so I don't walk in front of him or walk into his car, and and all of a sudden, I notice he's just looking. I mean, he's just, he is staring this gal down because I want to look over and see if she she was, and uh, I I was watching him, and he's just staring her down, and then he starts slowing down, and then he slows down, and he goes like this to her. That stinker. You know what I think? I don't know. I think he wanted her to walk in front of him, to look just a little longer. See, that's the idea that he's talking about here. Martin Luther, the great reformer said it this, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from making a nest in your hair. See, having the thought isn't the sin, friends. It's letting it build a nest there in your mind. Jesus prohibits looking with the intent and the thought of lust. Now, you can dream all you want about your spouse. True story. Uh, We were having a small group on marriage in our house a number of years ago. And uh, just a great brother, a good friend, he comes up to me afterwards because we were talking about sexuality and lust and all these things in our Bible study. And he comes up to me afterwards. I thought he was kidding at first, but he goes, man, I got this problem. I lust for my wife. How do I deal with that? And I said, keep doing it. You know, Um, I I, I think I said something like that. But I said, no, there's a difference between lust and desire. See, lust is negative. I've had people come up to me and say, oh, pastor, would you just pray that God would remove my mind and that I wouldn't be able to ever have these kinds of thoughts? I says, no, I'm not going to pray that. Because if I did, you would be sad, very sad later on. Because then you wouldn't have this desire that compels you towards your wife. I said, here's what I'm going to pray, is that you use God's word and you begin to think differently in God's way. And you use his word to train your mind to control your thoughts. Because that's what God says throughout the scripture. He says, I want you to take control of your mind. Because if he took it away from you, that would affect many areas. So why does Jesus call out lustful thoughts? Well, it's like everything else. Again, you read this throughout the scripture. I could give you tons of scriptures, but our behavior flows from how and what we think. If I see women as objects, I'll treat them that way. If you see a man as an object, you'll treat him that way. The most powerful sex organ, loved ones, in our body is your mind. If you cannot control the thoughts of your mind, you'll have a difficult time controlling your behaviors. And that's across the board. Anger, if you can't control your thinking with anger, you won't be able to control your anger. And Jesus said in Matthew fifteen nineteen, he says, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Our behavior will always be a reflection of our hearts. W- what are you saying? How are you talking? That's reflecting your heart where it is. Now, let me touch on pornography just a couple of minutes here. It's so important. One reason pornography is so destructive is it's designed to to simply stimulate sexual fantasies, to fill our hearts and our minds with these adulterous images. And Jesus said, if you are filling your heart with immoral images, it will likely be reflected in your behavior. It's the computer term garbage in, garbage out, because our minds are these incredible machines that God has given us. And that's why he says we need to do the things that we need to do to control them, to shape them and to change them. Once upon a time, you had to go somewhere to find pornography, an adult bookstore, a triple X movie theater. It's funny because whenever I go back to Portland area, Portland, Oregon, there's all these, you know, they still have these pornography shops and I go, wow, I can't believe they're still in business. People still go. But we can get it piped into our homes today on TV, via the internet, our telephone. Internet porn is literally a million, multi-billion dollar business. I think it was in 2002, it was like 23 billion. and In 2016, it was up to $86 billion. It's an industry that has trapped millions of people and demoralized spouses all over. People watching and studying the brain says this. It's, it's extremely addictive. It's kind of like a drug. I mean, it, it requires increasing amounts to get the same high. It's like an appetite that the more you eat it, the bigger it gets and the more you got to fill it. And I want to shout out to anybody here. If you're dabbling in or engaged with porn, danger ahead. You're playing with fire and it will ultimately be incredibly destructive. You will get burned. Don't think that you are strong enough to do it alone. Jesus knows what he's talking about. He's more relevant today than he was 2,000 years ago. If you're struggling with pornography... Let me give you just a, these are, these are fly by steps. I I could do a series on how important this is, but first of all, make sure you're following Jesus. He's the one that can change you. What Jesus commands, he will empower you to be able to do if you'll do your part. One of my favorite scriptures, 1, 2 Peter uh, Chapter 1, verse 3, that God has given to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He's given us the power, the life in the spirit, in his kingdom to be able to do what he calls us to do. Go to Jesus and ask for his strength and his power and then do what he says because the closer you stay to the Jesus, the longer you'll be. Live in his presence Live with the unending thought that Jesus is always with me, wherever, whenever. Secondly, tell somebody else. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. I have a number of friends in this church who could give you stories that the first thing, one of the first things they had to do because they walk with Jesus as they tried to navigate this, they had to go find a friend to help them. Don't white knuckle this thing, guys or gals. Find someone that you can trust and you can be open and you can share with them what you're facing. The best way to drive this out, to drive out the darkness, is simply to turn on the light because sin thrives in secrecy. See, when you begin to remove the secrecy and you drag it into the light with someone, you're going to have a much better chance of overcoming it and dealing with it. If you need help, email me. You know, just email me and I'll get back to you. I'll, uh, here's what I'll do. I was just thinking about this this morning, that if I need to, I'll start a, a group for, uh, not girls, I can't do that, but I'll do it for guys. And I will. I'll if two or three guys who want to get together and just say, man, PT, let's work through this. One of my uh, mentors from years ago wrote a book on it and has a series on it that I'd love to sit down and just work with, work with guys through it. If, if that's you, just email me. Let me know, terriottcreekside.org. Nobody else sees my emails. Third thing is take some practical steps to avoid what trips you up. If you can't control your TV watching, get rid of your satellite or cut your cable. If you can't control your internet, use and get a filter. Where there's, there's things you can subscribe to. There's a, a thing called TripleXchurch.com that monitors your internet history. What they have you do is they have you hook up with two other people. So whenever you go on there, uh, you go on and whatever you look at, uh, if there's any concern about what you're looking at, uh, it, it communicates with the two other accountability people that you signed up with. Don't try and do it alone. But there's a lot of steps you can take accountability partners are so needed. It's gotta be someone that's probably further along than you are and that you can trust, that's further along in Jesus. Job 31.1 says this, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. You and I need to change our hearts, not just our actions. Jesus says that the one thing that indicates that we have to be experiencing his life. It's always going to show in our heart first, and then it's going to come out. So what are you going to do? Ruthlessly remove whatever trips you up. Verses 29 and 30. When Jesus talks about gouging out your eye or cutting off your hand, if it causes you to sin or if it trips you up, he's speaking figuratively. If he meant literally, and most of us were obedient, we would be dead. (laughs) I would be dead. What did he mean? Jesus is saying that you should see the sin is so dangerous that you would be better to lose an eye or a hand. It's a call to ruthlessly remove and deal with whatever causes you to sin. Deal decisively with it. Don't be soft with these temptations. This kind of sin calls for amputation, not Band-Aid. Be hard, be tough. If you compromise, hesitate, you'll probably get trapped up on it. Sexual temptation, loved ones, is exceedingly powerful. Don't toy with it. Don't do it on your own. If, if you were diagnosed today with cancer, what would you do? I remember uh, Trina had uh, cancer back in, I think, 2001, and she had to have some massive surgery done on her mouth. And then she went in for an examination sometime later, and they thought they saw a spot on her lung. Now, she had just finished going through this incredibly painful surgery, teeth extracted, implants. I mean, just a very arduous process. But the doctor said, We think we might have a spot. We can let it go and see if it wants to grow, or we can take it out. And she said, Without hesitation, take it out. Well, you're sure we could look? No, take it out. See, that's the way we have to deal with this, friends. Cut it out. When you identify something that causes you to sin ruthlessly and immediately, cut it out. Cut out porn. Cut out lustful second thoughts. Cut out any compromising relationships. Our culture says it's all right. It's not that bad. Jesus says otherwise. Let me finish with a couple of last practical suggestions. You can't overcome lust by purely negative means. Have you ever tried just, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to think about it. Let me give you an example. Close your eyes for a minute. Just close your eyes. We're getting pretty close to lunch. I'm getting hungry. Aren't you getting hungry? I love Popeye's spicy fried chicken. Oh, it's so good. Don't think about that. Don't think about it. I know you're hungry. I know that you're, you're, you probably, your mouth, you're, you're probably salivating. Don't think about it. Don't think about those big pieces of juicy chicken pieces that you pop it open and it's smoke coming up and it's, it's got juicy meat, white meat. See, that doesn't work. To sit there and think, I'm not going to think about I'm not going to think about I'm not going to think about No, no, no. You don't drive out the darkness, you turn on the light. When you have a lustful thought, when you are tempted to go to that little rodent in your room, thing called a mouse, you gotta cut it off, you gotta take it away. And you can't just go, I'm not gonna think about it because that's all you'll think about. What you gotta do is you gotta redirect your thoughts. You gotta redirect your thinking. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. Take every thought captive. Cast down, demolish every imagination. If a lustful thought comes to mind, expose it to God rather than trying to cover it. Bring it out in the open. Say, God, this is what I'm thinking. Admit it. Confess it right there. If a lustful thought comes, have an arsenal of Bible verses. Here's my go-to ones. Psalm 119, 9 through 11, it says, how can a young man keep his way pure? I've changed that. How can an old man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word so that I might not sin against thee. Lord, I want to walk in purity. First Corinthians 10, 13 Temptation, no temptation has overtaken Terry, but such as is common to man. But with the temptation, God promises me that He's going to provide a way of escape. Listen, just because you're older doesn't mean this necessarily goes away. We're talking about temptation one time in our Friday morning men's group. I've told you this story before, but if you haven't heard it, there's this guy, just one of the most godly men of our church. His name was Gerald Cook. We called him Chief, and he was probably about 70, 72 at this time. And we're talking, a bunch of young guys, and there's a couple of older guys in there. And someone looks at Chief because he was kind of the guru in there. And they go, Chief, does this ever go away? And he gives this classic response. He says, you're going to have to ask somebody older than me. (laughs) I love that. And this is what he said. He said, I still have to lean on God's word to catch myself looking at another woman. And I pray at that time, and I thank God for my little wife. So you got to drag it out. you got to confess it. you got to deal with it. Here's three things. Build your relationship with God. First and foremost, build your relationship with God. Jesus can make your heart pure. There's nothing like an authentic daily relationship with God to help purify your heart and your thinking and your mind. If you can only do one thing, do that. Spend time every day with Jesus. Secondly, build a great marriage. If you're married, one of the best defenses against adultery in thought or deed is simply having a strong marriage. Loving Jesus will make you pure, and so will loving your wife. Here's the deal. I think about this all the time. If I were to fall, what would that do, first of all, to Jesus' heart? What would that do to my wife? What would that do to my kids? And what would that do to this church? See, when you start putting it in those terms, loved ones, it gets really, really serious. Because I'm not, I'm not my own. I'm God's. And the third thing is guard your affections. Proverbs 4:23 says above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. Put a bastion, put a moat, do something, put something around your heart. Guard your affections. See, it's such a natural thing in our lives are to feel attracted to certain people. Over the course of your life, you'll probably meet many people with whom you have significant levels of affinity, and you'll look at them and you'll work with them, and there'll just be a connection, and you'll just go, "Wow, I could really oh, maybe there's something oh. Guard your heart. This is natural. It is an escapable part of our humanity and our sexuality. And that's why God says, guard your heart, because it's out of your heart. Flow the issues, the things of life. Hear me, loved ones. There are affections that are reserved for your spouse alone. And when you begin to catch yourself feeling something for someone other than your spouse, take action. Take action definite, clear-cut action. I can't emphasize that enough. Be ruthless with, re- with your affections that could go astray. It's so easy in the workplace. It's so easy with a neighbor. It's so easy with friends to just kind of, oh, I really like this person. And when you begin to think and even move toward that, make sure that you deal with it. And if you're a single, it's the same thing. It's no different. Be careful. The key is the heart-loved ones. Getting rid of harmful influences will not change a corrupt heart. That's why the scripture challenges us to watch over our mind so God can work in our heart. He is the heart changer. We're the mind controller. Our heart, though, is like this refinery. We're familiar with the refinery around here. It's just a maze of machinery and stacks and so many different things but its name defines what it does it refines gasoline oils and chemicals whatever comes in, it purifies it so that it's ready to go out it does for petroleum what our heart should do for you and for me it sifts out the bad and utilizes the good for you and I, our heart is the inner person. To the Hebrews, to the Jews, this was, the, this was like were, that was the control tower, the cockpit of their character. In Hebrew thinking, it was like the freeway uh, of a, of a cloverleaf where all of our emotions and our thinking and our convictions, they just converge and emerge together. Watch over your heart. Give it to Jesus because that's what directs your life. One last thing. It's very possible someone's here that's committed adultery. It's very possible that you're involved in sexual immorality. I deal with people all the time that 20 years later, they're still dealing with the guilt of it. Here's what I want you to hear. The grace of God is greater than all of your sin. God can forgive you. Repent, turn away and turn to Jesus today. Admit your failure, your need of him, and for a heart transplant. He will forgive. He forgets. Jesus wants to heal you, loved ones, at the deepest core of your being. And he's the only one that can do it. Therapists might be able to help, a counselor might be able to help, but Jesus is the one can go in and massage your heart. Would you stand with me? I just want to invite you if you'd bow your head for a moment and with friends online. I want to invite you to do the same thing. And I just want you to have a time with our king, with talking about the kingdom where maybe you would say man I got to get control of something would you confess it to him say Lord forgive me I I confess this right now and I want to turn from it and turn to you maybe you're already seeing the effects on your home or your marriage or your life confess it today and make a plan with Jesus today on what you're going to do Someone said, "The problem with pet sins is they grow up and they can eat us, and we think we can control it." If you need to get a friend, do that. I just want to pray with you today, and you just you, you confess before the Lord wherever you are, and maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus today, and I want to invite you to do that online. Uh, There's a little hand you can click, a little icon that you can click. Maybe you want to say, Jesus, I need a new heart today. The book of Ezekiel talks about Jesus would come, the Messiah, so he'd give us a new heart. And you can have that today. If you're here in this room, you can have that today. Just simply say, Jesus, I choose to follow you. Would you forgive me my sins and give me a new heart? Father, we come today in incredible humility. There's not one of us that can stand before you and say, boy, I've never experienced this. Whoa, I'm like one of those Pharisees, man, I've checked the box, I've punched the list. Because Lord, in all of us, our hearts need, the furniture needs to be rearranged and taken care of. And Lord, I just pray that we would be open to you today for that in your name. Pray for my friends online, that if there's anybody there that says, I need Jesus, that they would simply say today in their heart, pray, Lord, I open my heart to you. People in this room, if you're here and you say, I need to open my heart to Jesus, would you do that? Be bold, be courageous. Take that first step today. Father, I pray that we would be a church. We would be a people. We would be individuals. We would be couples that aren't religious and try and put on a facade, but we'd be real. And we would be able to speak to people about the goodness of what sexuality is about. And I pray for my friends here today that you would strengthen their marriages. I pray for our singles, Lord, that you would strengthen their spiritual resolve to be truly Christian in the way they walk out their sexuality. And I thank you for them, Lord. I thank you for your life. Pray your blessing upon this people in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.